Our biggest joy today, you know, the last, the first week we talked about our biggest doubt. Uh, that was my first sermon back online again. And then last week we talked about our biggest, uh, our biggest fear. And then last week our biggest doubt. And this week I want to talk about our biggest joy. And I just think, you know, it's kind of funny because I already knew what I was going to preach. And just the way, the timing for these things is kind of ironic to me because I just want to jump for joy today. Uh, and here we are going to talk about it. So I'm glad that joy wasn't the first week that I was off, I mean, away from you all. Um, and, uh, but anyway, that seems to me, in my head, appropriate to talk about fear and doubt when I was away. And now we get to talk about joy. Um, I had a crazy dream Tuesday morning. <laughs> you guys are going to think I'm odd, but, uh, but uh, I did. I had this crazy dream Tuesday morning, I woke up with it, and, and before I tell you, I just want to tell you something. When I say I have a vision or I have a dream, I am by no means telling you that I'm, I'm like somebody in the Bible or that I'm, you know, to, to equate them in that kind of caliber. I'm not saying that God is speaking directly to me. I dreams, right? You guys have imaginations where you sit around and daydream and have these kind of visions and stuff like that. But what I but I, what I do believe is that God speaks to them. He speaks through all everything. You know, every every time you open the Bible, He's speaking to you. Every time that you're you know just sitting around and we call it meditation, right? And you're meditating on things, and it's just around God and His Word and and the things that He's doing in your life. You you are being spoken to, and so I, I think that when I have these dreams, uh, they're no different than the dreams that you have, uh, but I definitely, the ones that I appreciate the most are the ones that it just seems like it's, it's about God, and, and it's about, you know, something that I'm focused on. I, I think sometimes I get so wrapped up, uh, so focused on, like, a, a sermon idea, uh, a passage of Scripture, that I end up, you know, my dreams kind of uh, around that uh, kind of thing. So I just want to clarify that a little bit because I don't want you to think that, oh boy, Mike's always having these dreams and visions and stuff. Like, how come God doesn't speak to me? He speaks to all of us. Um, and uh, But I do think that I find benefit in this. So I want to tell you about this dream. My dream was odd. Aren't all dreams a little bit odd, though? Uh, but the dream just began by somebody that I really didn't know, but it was like I, I should know them, and they invited me over to their house to help them with a family issue, he and his sister. And so I show up, and the first thing I noticed was that that I'm not the only preacher there. They invited two other preachers uh, to this house, and their issue is, is that they have a sister who lost a daughter. And it was a terrible tragedy in their life because it was unexpected, and she was young. And they invited me over to help them figure out how to help uh, their sister get through this process, you know. And I'm just like, as soon as he lets me know I'm there, I'm just like, man, I don't know what I can offer. I don't even know why you invited me uh, to be a part of this with these other two preachers. They they have more ability. I'm sure they can help you more. And so the family, you know, his sister... Their sister and uh, the, their family had not arrived yet, and so they were just sitting around brainstorming how they could help, you know, this mourning family. And uh, I just didn't have anything to say. You know, I wanted to contribute, wanted to say, but I just didn't know what to say. And, and so I just remember feeling really awkward, you know, in this. And, 
And so the family finally arrives, and, and it wasn't what we were expecting, you know, because building all the way up to this, we, just, I, we all just were expecting this, this uh, mom that lost her child come in and just be in, you know, in shambles and tears and, and distress and stuff. And, but when she comes in, she's just full of joy. She just has this happiness about her. And, hey, how's it going? And, you know, how's everybody doing? And stuff like this. And it was just like, this is strange, you know. Didn't see this coming. And the rest of the family came in, and they were all mourning. They were all sad and just really in distress. And, and so it didn't take long just trying to figure out what's going on here. How come this mom is being, behaving this way? Her continence about her was just, you know, happiness. And then you realize that, man, she must be like on something, right? I mean, she must, she must have taken something to be this way in the midst of this moment. And so in about that time, as you're thinking that, you know, one of the daughters spoke up and said, well, mom just couldn't handle what was going on. And so they, I don't know if they or she took some, some medication and it just made her kind of numb to reality, you know, she didn't, she wasn't processing what was going on. And, and so she um, just couldn't make the, the triggers. It was like she was escaping from reality. And, and then all of a sudden, it was as if God just wanted me, gave me something to say. And I was, felt so compelled to say something. And I just spoke up in the midst of all of this family that was there. And I said, you know, this is what Jesus does for me. I mean, it's different, but it is kind of like this. You know, he just gives me this sense of joy and this sense of peace and happiness, even in the midst of, of tragedy. But the, the difference is, is that he, he doesn't eliminate my reality. You know, he doesn't numb me to what's going on in my world. And one of the, the other children spoke up and says, well, we, if, if, if I could have what mom has, but not be oblivious to what's going on in my world, you know, the reality of what's happening here, that would be the most amazing thing. And I said, well, Jesus can give that to people. He has this ability to give you the sense of joy and, and contentment and happiness and, and hope, even in every situation, every circumstance. And here I was, you know, in my dream sharing this, and then I woke up. That was the end of it. And I was laying in my camper, because that's where I quarantined <laughs> at home, and uh, laying in my camper, and I was just sitting there thinking about that. I just couldn't get up. I just had to, you know, contemplate what I was just dreaming about, because, man, isn't there so much reality to that? I mean, just that Jesus has this ability to give something that the world cannot give. The world has to offer moments of happiness. But Jesus can give us what we call, we call it joy. Uh, the Bible calls it joy, but it's different than happiness. It's something that you, you, can, you can have, an internal well-being and, and feeling of, of good and hope and, and stuff, even in the midst of the worst of circumstances. It, it's not contingent upon that. You know, things going perfect. And I just sat there and thought about that for for a while. Our scripture is so much like that. Our scripture is in Philippians chapter 1, and I want to read part of it with you right now. Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. And this is Paul 
Paul is the one who is writing to us. He's the one that we're going to kind of uh, focus on um, a little bit here. And he says this. He says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and with all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, in a lot of the ESVs, mine, this Bible does not do this, but a lot of them will have like just a little introduction of the book that you're about to look into. And in my Bible program, it has that. And this is what it says about the book of Philippians. It says, Philippians overflows with joy and thanksgiving. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi to thank them for a gift. He reported the joyful news to Epaphroditus, who had brought their gift to Paul, had recovered from his illness and was returning to Philippi. Paul said that he had learned the secret of being content in every situation and told them about his situation in prison. It's interesting, right? I mean, Paul wrote Philippians in prison and and he expressed so much joy just in the opening words that we just read. But he, it goes on to say this. He says, he expressed joy that more people may were hearing about Christ, even in some were proclaiming the gospel with bad, bad motives. Um, like the family in, in my dream, you know, Paul is in a situation that should have robbed him of all sense of happiness, sense of joy or good tidings, you know, kind of thing, sense of peace and contentment. He, he so often talks about in this book contentment. In fact, this book, is, if, if there was one word that almost every commentator that you will read uh, says about this book is, is the word joy. That's how they summarize this book. If, if a preacher wants to preach on joy, usually he will think first, ah, I ought to talk about something in Philippians, you know, uh, because that just seems to overflow from Paul and his words and his thoughts and his, you know, the things that he is expressing here. And it's just interesting to me that he's sitting in prison. No, no, no understanding of what his future holds, not even what tomorrow holds or anything like that. Um, and yet here he is expressing, and this is the title that comes out of this. You know, bad news hanging out with happiness, this does not seem to be possible, right? How do you have bad news and happiness in the same room? Um, but yet, God has always told us in his word that whatever is impossible for man is 
I mean, yeah, whatever is impossible for man is possible with God. And that's the way it is with joy. Only God can give us that, you know, the, the sense of, of good, goodness and happiness and contentment and stuff in the midst of bad times. Only Jesus can allow joy to be in the presence of bad. Here is how Brian uh, Bill put it. And he's a preacher. He does a lot better job at wording things than I do. But this is what he says. He says, we tend to equate happiness with joy, but they are totally two different ideas because they each spring from different sources. One comes from the world around us. The other originates directly from the spirit of the living God. Happiness is conditioned by and often dependent upon what is happening to us. If people treat me good, if things are going well with me in my life, then I am happy. If my circumstances aren't favorable, then I am unhappy. Joy, on the other hand, throbs throughout Scripture as a profound, compelling quality of life that transcends the events and disasters which may bring down God's people. Joy is a divine dimension of living that is not shackled by circumstances. The Hebrew word means to leap or spin around with pleasure. That's what joy. In the New Testament, the word refers to gladness, bliss, celebration. Only Jesus can give us something that we can be glad and celebrate in the midst of bad times. There's two things that I want you to grasp about joy that is different than happiness, and that is just one. Unlike happiness, joy isn't determined, I mean, it isn't uh, defined by whether what the circumstances are going around you, just like what we were talking about. You can have all of that with you. But, but the number two, and the most important thing, is that it can only come through the avenue of Jesus Christ. That's the only way to have joy. Now, you can figure out, maybe try to find happiness in this world, and maybe you will have moments of happiness you know, but it'd only be because your circumstances are such a way that, you know, allows you to have happiness. You go buy a car, all of a sudden, man, I am happy, right? Uh, you buy a house, you get a new job or whatever it be, you have a child. You can have moments of happiness, but uh, those moments are fleeting. And, and it also, it, it, it's completely dependent on your circumstances. But joy, on the other hand, is not that way. But it only comes through Jesus. You can't find it any other way in life. And that is so important. How do you know if you have joy versus that I'm just happy? How do you know? What, what, if, you, what if you don't have joy in your life, but you would like to? Because what you're saying, Mike, it sounds intriguing to me. It sounds, you know, like I would like, to, you're like the person in my, my dream again. Hey, if I, give me Jesus. If, if Jesus can give you this feeling uh, without numbing my reality, then, then yeah, that's what I'm after. That's what I want. Or maybe you have lost your joy. Maybe there was, this, you, you can reflect back upon a time in your life that what you're describing, Mike, I used to have. You know, I could go through just about anything and still have some sense of contentment and bliss and and happiness in my life. Or maybe you just are, Wondering if you are absorbing all of the joy that is yours to have in Jesus Christ. Maybe you were thinking, maybe I'm missing out on something here. Maybe I, ha- I have some of it, I bet maybe there is more that I can have. Well, 
here's what I want to do. Whatever your joy level is, here are three things that I think Paul helps us with that will help you um, have joy if you don't have it, to have more if, you, if there is more for you to have, right? Um, or just to explore and see and look into uh, your joy level. So here's three things for you to look into to help your joy. Number one is this. Something that Paul says that, that brings about joy, that helps joy in his life, and, and I think in ours, is that love the family. I don't know what it is. I mean, I guess I do kind of as I explore through this, but at first, you know, I was just trying to figure out, figure out the connection here, but there is such a strong connection between the joy level we can have and how we interact with each other. Okay, uh, the more we love the family, the fellowship, the church, uh, the more it seems to up our level of joy. And Paul, man, does he have that? In in verse one, or chapter one, verse eight, it says, "God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus." And he wasn't making this up. He wasn't. He was in prison here. He is just being super honest. I just, I super long. God knows. He can testify how much I long for you guys, and how much joy you bring into. There was just a love. You know, you love the people Jesus is married to. It's just bound to bring more joy into your life. Paul's close relationships with with Jesus gave birth to his close relationships with the people in the church. You know, uh, in fact, uh, Paul said that the feelings that he had for the folks of Philippi were directly from Jesus. Like, because I love Jesus, I love you so much. Um, and, and that's just the way he expressed it. There's a word, this word affection that we use for English. It's, it comes from the source of spleen. And, and if you dive into it, what you're going to come out with is that Paul has a deep feeling for these people with insight, you know, like... Like, his heart yearns and aches for them. You know, that's kind of feeling. He, he, it, it, uh, William Barclay has put it this way. He says, so Paul is saying, I yearn for you with the very compassion of Jesus Christ himself. I love you as Jesus loves you. That's this pretty amazing thing. Why does he love these people? Because of his love for Jesus and Jesus' love for him. That relationship is is being involved in his relationship and love for the people. Let, let me tell you a couple illustrations that maybe you help. Do you remember me telling you about carrying the cats? Some of you will remember uh, this story. I, it just seems like God has given me that, that uh, illustration to share with several people in the last few months. Several people that have had a hard time having a relationship with God's church. Right, because the church is can be a kind of a messy place. Let's just be honest, right? Uh, and having relationships that go good all the time is just really difficult. But I was able to share this story because I, it just to me it just really helps me understand the, the dynamics of the church. Anyway, the story. If you don't remember, here's the story. And if you do, just bear with me for a moment. But when Carrie was like ten or to twelve years old, I don't know, she had so many cats. I mean, they were everywhere. There was like twenty, twenty-five cats running around our place, and 
And um, I've never been a cat person, right? I mean, that's just the way I grew up. And you, you get a lot from, especially boys from their dads. They just want to always model, you know, themselves after their dads. And, and, uh, and, and so my dad raised three boys, and that's kind of the way we were. We just thought dad was, you know, the, in all of everything and could do everything when we were little. And, and he did not like cats. I don't know, maybe his dad didn't like them. Who knows? But... But when we were out hunting and they, you know, I won't get into all that, but we did really mean things to cats. And, and, uh, and I just grew up that way. You know, like that's just what a man does. A man does not like cats. Man likes dogs. Man doesn't like cats. And, uh, and so Carrie had these cats, and they were fine if they were out in the barn, I could tolerate them, but because Carrie would love these cats so much and cuddle them and, you know, just care for them and who knows what all that she just gave them special treats and stuff, but you open the door and you have 20 cats right there. You could not walk anywhere without just being tripping all the time with these cats, and it would just frustrate the tar out of me, so I went out the back door one time, and these cats started, you know, causing me to trip. And I just got angry. I mean, I really got angry. And I just kicked one of those cats. And I bet that thing went, I mean, quite a ways. Phil Gold, you know, right through the tree. Um, And as soon as I did that, I turned. And I didn't know Carrie was there. And she saw what I had just done. And the pain that I saw on her face you know what I just did to her cats. Um, she probably scarred for life, and I'm sorry, Carrie. Uh, I have a hard time not crying about it just because I remember the pain I felt when I saw her, right? But there was something that happened to me that day that I'll never forget, and that was it was the moment I started liking cats. I mean, it was just it was just because it was to me it was just like this thing, right? If you're gonna love Carrie you're going to have to learn to love her cats. You know, it's like a package deal. Carrie comes with the cats. And so from that moment on, I started tolerating these cats. And after a while, I even faked it a little bit and started petting these cats, (laughs) you know, because Carrie was there. That was why. Um, And after a while, you know, I... We'd start losing these cats because we'd have this cycle going on <laughs> because of bobcats and who else knows what gets rid of all the cats. But, but eventually we get down to like, you know, five or six, and eventually we'd have a bunch more. And I was finding myself rejoicing when we'd have more and being sad when we would lose some. But it was just something changed because of my relationship with Carrie. And there's just something about this, what Paul is talking about. When we have a relationship with him, we begin to love his people. It's like this triangle thing going on, right? Another little illustration, and we'll just get to the next thing, and that is, what if, what if I told you about a, a family who the, the mom and the daughter, they just did not get along. They argued about everything, you know, about what the daughter should dress and how they should, you know, do this or that, and they just fought all the time. But they both had this amazing relationship with the man of the house, the, the, the dad or the husband, right? 
When it comes to that, they, everything was good. The daughter got along really well with the dad. The dad was, you know, just that relationship was special. And the relationship was special with the, the wife and the, the, the husband. But they just didn't. Let me tell you, do you think that that affects the joy level in that, that family? Sure it does. Does it affect the joy that, that, that those two ladies could feel? Absolutely it does. Even though that they have a good relationship with the man there. And there's something about that is, is so important for us to grasp. You know, we rob ourselves of joy when we are not working on loving, you know, the family. Uh, and uh, this is what, what uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to jump ahead there a little bit. In chapter 2, let me start with verse 1. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any com- uh, participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, if you've gotten anything from Jesus, which we all have, right? He says, complete my joy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance with, with uh, accordance and of one mind. And what he's saying there is, he's talking about having this harmony, that, that if Jesus is your in-all and be-all, he is, you have such a good relationship with him, then you have to, to also have this harmony with God's people if you want to complete his joy and also complete your joy, right? Uh, that's, where, that's part of where joy comes from is, is this fellowship right here. And it's a package deal. Let me tell you, if you love Jesus, you got to love his, his family. You know, I'm going to show you this verse that I was thinking of this morning. In 1 John chapter 4, this isn't up, up on the screen here, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us want, love one another, for love is from God. Right? So let us love one another, for love is from God. And who, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And he's just echoing what I'm trying to express here is that when you're born again, God, he who is love, gives you love so that love can be extended to his family. And you have this perfect triangle of joy that comes. So joy comes that way. It is through uh, loving the church. Here's another thing that, that often love, I mean joy and happiness comes from, you know, it, it comes from Jesus, but these are just ways that you can evaluate your level of joy, okay? But the second one is, is contentment. We, we, need, we need to be people who are content, you know, and when we're not content, we rob our joy again. You know, what's the opposite of contentment? I don't know. There's probably several things, but one of them is envy, right? Because when you are always envious of someone else, always looking to what they have, and you don't, oh, man, I wish I had a new car. You know, I wish I had that job. Man, I wish I had that husband. <laughs> Let's don't go there, okay? Um, but uh, you, you end up robbing yourself, of the joy that can be yours in Christ. And Paul just had this, he had contentment. You know, contentment, if you look up the definition, 
in our English dictionaries, it would just say, in a, in a state of peaceful happiness. That's what contentment is. That's appropriate, right? In a state of peaceful happiness. Philippians chapter 4, so we're really jumping ahead now. Chapter 4, verse 10, this is what Paul says. He says, I rejoice, so there's that joy again, right? I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had had no opportunity. And the reason they didn't have opportunity is because he's in prison, you know. Okay, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever circumstance I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty of hunger, plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And contentment is, it's, it's a learned trait, I think. You know, it, it's something that you can, you can start uh, developing more of in your life. I don't think Paul started out just with contentment. I think through being hungry and being well-fed and through these circumstances, eventually he learned a secret, that is just to be satisfied with Jesus in whatever circumstance, whatever situation that I am, that he is enough. He's enough for me. But it can be a learned trait. And here's a few things that will help you uh, if you want to be more contentful. Uh, the first one is, is stop comparing yourself to other people. You know, that, that just seems to be a habit that we get ourselves into. But, but we're constantly, you know, constantly comparing ourselves. Why do we do this anyway? I think it's just so that we see how we measure up, you know, how well we're doing. And so we're constantly just comparing our, our situation with, you know, this person's situation, this person. And it, 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 it ends up breeding, you know, like envy, like we talked about, but it just breeds discontent is what happens. You know, we just aren't happy with our circumstance, our situation. It kills it. I love what one guy says. He says this. He says, learn to admire without having to acquire. And that's pretty good. You know, um, Here's the second thing that would help you, and that is rejoice in what you do have. You know, instead of focusing on what you don't have, focus on what you do have. And, what, and if we would do that, you know, we, we say it in a lot of different ways. I remember my grandma always says, count your many blessings, you know. We have a song that, that obviously has that too, but, but it's true. You know, just realize what you do have, you know, in your life, the people you have, the health you have, the you know, the, the way that your, your circumstances, you're, you're being provided for on a daily basis. I remember a, an illustration. It's a rich man who, who comes along. They're in this ocean, right? I mean, on the shore. But uh, this rich man comes along and he sees this, this fisherman who is just kind of kicked back and being lazily, you know, laying out by his, the sea there by his boat. And he says, well, why aren't you fishing? And the guy says, well... I've already been fishing, and I, I've got, you know, my fish. And he says, well, why aren't you still fishing? I mean, why don't you get more fish? And he says, well, well, what would I do with more fish? He says, well, sell them. And then you would have what you need, and then you would have, you know, be able to sell them, and now you have money, you know, more money. And, and he says, well, what would I do? And he says, well, you could do it enough, and then you could buy a boat. And then you could go out into a deeper, you know, ocean and have 
a bigger boat and bigger nets, and you could have more fish, and therefore you'd have even more money. He says, but what would I do then? He says, well, then you would be rich like me, and you could just kick back and relax and take it easy. He says, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and I think there's just something that's really cool about that story, and that is that he was already content with what he had, right? And to get, do what he, the other guy was illustrating, it was just going to get him to the same place, and that is to enjoy. Uh, and if you can't, you know, it's just, uh, it's just something that I have known. You know, God's word and his wisdom has taught me over there. If you can't be content with what you do have, you won't be content with what you think you need. Right? You got to learn to be content where you are. And so just recognizing what you have is good. Here's the third thing that will help you with, you know, calibrating your joy to you know, seeing the level and elevating it even higher, and that is to be evangelistic. Be evangelistic. So, so love the people. You know, God's family, it's his bride, and to love the church um, is so, so important. Uh, be content is so important for joy. But this one's so important, too. Uh, be evangelistic. You can't read through Philippians and not just... As it starts, he says, I just have the, I have this spleen thing going on for you. I mean, I just really, I have the affection for you. I miss you. I love you guys. But it is not only for the church. It is, he has this thing going on for people who are outside the church too. Where he just, he just wants people to know the gospel. I want you to read, read with me here verse 12, Philippians 1. Verse 12, he says this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has already served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice." I mean, he's just saying that some people use the Word of God just to advance themselves. You know, it's just to get a pat on the back or maybe even get people to give them money or I don't know. I mean, you know, just there's a lot of different ways that we could use the gospel to advance self and not really be doing it for pure motives. But he says, but some people do it with pure motives. He says, but that doesn't, that is not such a concern to me. What I'm concerned about is that Jesus gets preached to masses of people so that masses of people can know that Jesus has loved them and died for them and that they come to know the truth. It's because he just has this desire for people to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to find this joy in Jesus. You know, Paul's greatest desire was for people to know Jesus. He just, that's what he wanted. And so he was even satisfied with being in prison as 
as long as he could see that it benefited people coming to Jesus. Um, where did he get that mindset? Because of his relationship with Jesus, right? Jesus was like that. Jesus loved people so much that he was willing to leave heaven and come down here to die a horrible death for us. And we didn't finish all of that passage of Scripture there in Philippians uh, 2. But when it was talking about, you know, the harmony that we should have of the church, he goes on and he says, Be like that of Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And he, you know, gave himself up on the cross, it explains. Why did Jesus do that? Because of his relationship with his father made him want to have such a loving relationship with these people. And Paul is just being like that. He just is being very evangelistic. Jesus would get so excited, wouldn't he? Going around and telling people about the kingdom of God and when they got it, when they grasped it. Um, he got excited about forgiving them of their sins and stuff. You know, he knew what it cost Jesus and what, it, what he gave up, you know, for us. So we're going to come to our communion time, the table. And I just want to tell you something about this table today. The table was set a little different today. The table was set... To offer you joy. That's what it is. Joy is at the table. Because joy can only come through Jesus Christ. That's it. You can go and seek and look for happiness and, you know, hopefully you find it. But it'll be fleeting and it'll just be moments. But if you come to Jesus, he can give you joy Everlasting joy, exceedingly joy, the Bible says. A joy that it doesn't matter if you're sitting in prison or you're sitting on a boat in an ocean, just kick back, relax, and enjoying the day. Joy can be yours in every circumstance, but only through Jesus. And that's why he did what he did. That's why we're going to partake of this juice and this bread and just remember that he came to not only give us life, but to give us joy. To give us joy. Let me pray and then we're going to partake together. Father God, we thank you so much that you've given us so much. More than we could ever really comprehend. But help us, Father, to comprehend some today more than what we probably had before we came in these doors. Help us to just really appreciate the joy that you have brought that is ours in Jesus. We just thank you so much, Father, for this opportunity to partake of this communion together. Your family around the table, I can't help but makes you happy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.